You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of John. We're in John 20 this morning. We're in our 49th message through this Gospel and, uh, and it has been a blessing. We've been studying this for over a year. And we've called this series and this study, Light Has Come, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And darkness cannot comprehend the light. Darkness doesn't get it. Darkness doesn't understand it. But Jesus pierces in the darkness and reveals himself to us. And so that has been my prayer as we've continuously been studying through the gospel of John, that we would have Christ's light illuminate and penetrate our dark hearts, especially mine. If you're taking notes, we've called this message this morning, Empty Tomb, Full Life. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. If you can all stand for the reading of the word of God this morning. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, and if you have a fake Bible on your phone, make sure you go there as well. John 20. So it's still inspired. Digital is still inspired. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week... The doors being locked where his disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, we all know Thomas, right? One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and the mark, the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you acknowledging that you are good, acknowledging that you are God, and acknowledging that the tomb is empty. That allows us to have a full life. Without you, Holy Spirit, coming from heaven and meeting us where we are at, we are left empty. We are left hopeless. We are in desperate need of seeing you, Jesus. For every Christian that knows this story, I pray that that Jesus, you would speak to us and minister fresh truths to us this morning. For those this morning that might be in church who might not know you, I pray that through the power of your word, God, you would save them. Anoint me, anoint my lips to preach your word faithful. And we all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. I was having a conversation with my oldest son, Sebastian, this week. And uh, we always have great conversations. He's five, so you can imagine some of the fun conversations that 
that we've kind of dialogued back and, and forth. But uh, there's a time this week we were reading through his kid's Bible, and it's cool because this Bible that we have, it always points to Jesus. So Old Testament truths always points forward to Christ on the cross, and even after Christ resurrects from the dead, even the New Testament stories always point to Jesus, and we're always reading this Bible to him. And I would just say if you have kids that are kind of younger, and, you, um, and, and you're looking for a good Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible is amazing. The Jesus Storybook Bible for little younger kids. But anyway, so we're reading through the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we just finished reading the crucifixion of Christ. And so I'm going to test my five-year-old in theology, right? I'm like, all right, bro, let's see how you're doing. Like, let's see how if you can hold your own. I said, all right, so Seabass, it's his nickname, Seabass, um, what, what, uh, why, why did Jesus die on the cross? And he thought about it. He's like, well, let me, let me think about it. I'm not sure. I was like, okay, well, while you're thinking about it, uh, how long was Jesus dead for? Just kind of quiz him. He's like, oh, I know, three years. And I was like, well, uh, close, three days, three days. But three years is like three, three days is like three years to a kid anyways. So going to kind of press it further. You know, going to kind of check up on him. Like, all right, so um, why though? Why did Jesus die? And he said, so he can rise again. It's like, yeah, that's a good job, bro. Why did Jesus rise again, pushing it even further with him? Now, he's five, remember, and he's thinking about it. And he's like, uh, so Jesus would rise again? Well, that's a pretty good answer, right? I mean, you can't have a resurrected Savior without a crucified Savior. It's pretty good, but he didn't know why he rose from the dead. Then, of course, me, you know, loving my kid and, and you know, being the pastor, kind of got a catch him up to speed. So I'm like, all right, bro, let me explain to you the uh, penal, substitutionary, uh, penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. And now when Christ rose from the dead, he imputed that righteousness to you. And, it, and he's like, what? No, just kidding. I didn't do that to him. Rebuke you, child. Not true at all. I'm going to get in trouble for that. that. That actually didn't happen. A lot of us when it comes to the realities of the resurrection of the cross, are like my son. We know that Christ came. We know that Christ died. We know that Christ has risen again. But if we ask ourselves why, we don't really know. I have talked to so many Christians, even pastors who I've had conversations with, and I'm like, why did Jesus rise from the dead? And they just say, well, because he rose from the dead, but there's nothing more than that. They don't, they're not able to elaborate more on that because they haven't understood the implications, the impacts, the reality of Jesus being alive and rising from death. There's, they don't know. The cool thing is sometimes the truth of the resurrection, when the empty tomb leads to a full life, it comes to those who you least expect it. The realities and the implications of the resurrection also invades those lives that you would never think it would change. Am I right? Some of you are in church this morning and you're like, I saw Freddy Krueger in this theater and I never thought I would be here at church on Sunday morning. Some of you are smoking joints on the back watching a movie. I've talked to some of you. It's crazy to see the work of redemption that Jesus is doing. And that's what the gospel does. That's what resurrection does. It shows up and it impacts lives you would never think it would impact. In fact, what we saw last week was when Jesus rose from death. Who was the first person to the tomb? Wasn't Peter. Bold, courageous, let's go 300 style on the Roman soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's take all these guys out. I'll die for you, Jesus. Is Jesus the first one at the tomb? No. Attempting to cut off a soldier's head, he misses and chops off his ear. Fishermen should not be playing with swords at all, period. The guy just missed it. He failed. Stick to his day job, right? And you think Peter would be the first one at the tomb. Or how about John? You would think John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who saw Jesus crucified, and Jesus said, would you take care of my mother? You think John would be the first one there? Absolutely. But who's the first person at the tomb? Mary Magdalene. 
And she was the first person out of the history of the world to experience the implications and the impact of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene? Yeah, Mary Magdalene. Demon-possessed. Not just with one demon, but with seven demons. Seven demons. You guys think you got it bad? She was demon-possessed with seven of them. It's pretty rough. And she believes in Jesus. And we saw, as we studied last week, that she is the first disciple commissioned. She is the first disciple sent to be on mission. And she runs and tells the disciples, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. In fact, in John 8, we are told that uh, of John Verse 8 of this chapter, chapter 20, we know that John believes. It clicks for him. The resurrection makes sense. It changes him. But what do we read in verse 10? This absolutely blows my mind. After the most incredible, amazing aftermath of the most amazing miracle that ever takes place, then the disciples went back to their homes. Like, what? What do you do after an incredible thing happens? Oh, we go home and lock the doors and shut everything up. It's kind of weird. And that's where we pick it up in verse 19. They're still in their homes. Nothing has happened. And in verse 19, we read that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus had rose from death, the doors being locked where Jesus, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think if we could use a word right now to sum up the disciples' life for these last three and a half days, the word would be fear. These men are shaking in their slippers. Their robes are probably wet. The, they're thinking, oh my gosh, they did that to Jesus. They crucified Jesus. And we are a follower of Jesus. What are they gonna do to us? And they're probably here, doors locked, see the picture, windows shut, or in Jerusalem, trying to probably figure out an escape plan to get out of Jerusalem because there is a rumor going around that the tomb is empty and people are losing their minds and the Roman government and the Jews are trying to keep this thing suppressed from letting word going out, from letting things going viral. And Jesus warned them in John 15, 18, he said, if the world hates you, which they're probably thinking about this, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And so here they are, timid, fearful, cowards, hiding away, feared for their lives, and in verse 20, we read this. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I love how Jesus here shows up unannounced. You guys know when you ever you get invited to a party at times, you get those evites. Someone emails you an evite. Or when a wedding invitation comes in and it says RSVP, you feel pretty excited. And then you see, uh, or you see, you walk up into someone else's home and you see the invite on the refrigerator. And then you're like, oh, I did not get invited. What? What's happening? You get offended. And you're like, I wanted to be part of the party. I wanted to go. I wanted to, to be there. And Jesus has no evite. Jesus has not been invited. The doors are locked. The windows are shut. And Jesus is like, I'm showing up. I'm going to be there. And how often have we done that? How often have we shut and locked the doors of our heart and shut the windows of our heart saying, I don't want anyone to come in here. I want to hide in my fear. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is like, I know I don't have an invite, but I am coming in and I am invading you. And that's what he does. These guys are shaking. They are fearful. And Jesus barges in. He's like, guys, I'm going in today. I am breaking in. Well, there's no break in. He just walks through the wall because he's in a resurrected body. Not too shabby. So when you die and when you as a Christian are rose, you're raised from 
death, you know that your eternal body, you'll be able to eat, be able to walk through walls, and the list gets better and better. Awesome. I love that we can eat in heaven. Just so you know, we're eating Mexican food in heaven, all right? What we need most in the midst of fear, in the midst of our hearts being locked, in the midst of being in sin is Jesus. And I want you to see this. Are the disciples looking for Jesus? They're not looking for Jesus. Are the disciples praying to Jesus? Jesus, help us. Jesus, we are afraid. Jesus, we need your help. Are are they praying? No. But in the midst of their sin, Jesus says, I know you're a sinner. I know you're screwed up. I know you've locked me out, but I'm coming in anyways, and I am showing up. And so Jesus, I want you to see this, not as someone who barges in in selfishness, but Jesus shows up in his mercy because he loves them. And he says twice to them in the midst of fear, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, we have greetings today that we say to one another, especially here on the islands. It's like, how's it, right? Or, what's up? We say all sort of different things to one another. But then, and even today, Jews will say, peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Peace be with you. It was a common term. But when Jesus says it, it's not quite as common because he, for one, says it twice. Anytime God repeats himself, it's worth our attention And Jesus says it twice because they don't have peace. They have fear. And Jesus overrides their privacy and in love saves them from their cowardice, saves them from their fear, saves them from their sin. And only Jesus can truly say to you, peace be with you. In fact, Isaiah 9, 6, if you're taking notes, write that down. You could look it up later. How can we say that only Jesus can ultimately say peace be with you? Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Jesus isn't a servant of peace. Jesus isn't just a conduit of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Now, we would agree, right, that being a prince is a pretty big deal. I mean, just recently in the news this last year, if you are a prince and you have a baby, you can't avoid the news at all without finding out about this, the royal baby, the royal baby, the royal baby. It's like, all right, enough of the royal baby. But because he's a prince and he's giving birth to a prince because there's royalty involved, because it's important, because being a prince is being important. But when you're you and me, we don't have Times Magazine knocking on our door wanting to know and get pictures of our baby, do we? Because we aren't quite that important. People don't really care. Tutu cares. She's posting like 3,000 pictures of your baby on Facebook. You're like, all right, mom, back off a little. Take it, take it easy. But, but because you're not royalty, it's not important. And I want you to see this. Jesus isn't the servant of peace. Jesus isn't just a conduit of peace. Jesus is the prince of it, which means he has authority over. It is the source of where peace is from. And from Jesus, he has the right to give it to whom he chooses. It's a big deal. John 14, 27, Jesus at the Last Supper having a conversation with his disciples says this, peace I leave with you. Now, do they have peace here? He left it with them. Apparently, they don't have it until Jesus says, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You guys, here's the the point right here. Jesus is peace. It is an attribute of God. It is not just a part of him. It is not just something he gives, but Jesus is peace. And he offers this peace. And so let me ask you, do you have this peace? 
or in your attempts to find peace, you have exhausted all areas of life other than finding the one who is the Prince of Peace. You haven't gone to the Prince of Peace, but you've gone to the bottle. You've gone to the website. You've gone to that relationship. You've gone to that friendship. You've gone to something other than Jesus who only offers you real peace. And no wonder you're left with no peace. You're left empty. And Jesus is like, I am the Prince of Peace. And when Jesus becomes, you guys, please hear me on this. When Jesus becomes the most glorious thing in your life that you behold, you will have peace. You will have it. When there is nothing more glorious in your life than Jesus, your life will be invaded by peace. And here is the Prince of Peace showing up even uninvited in the midst of sin. They're not even asking for it. Jesus is like, I'm just gonna give it to you. And Jesus, does he suggest peace to them? He's like, hey, disciples, I see you're kind of afraid. I think peace might be a good idea. You want some peace? Let me give you some peace. No, it's not like peace, right? It's like declaration, you need to have peace. And as they receive this peace, I want you guys to know this. When you receive the peace from the Lord, Verse 20, the second half, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad. In other words, they were stoked. In other words, they were joyful. In other words, they are happy. Oh, how happy are these men. And Jesus, when he says to you and to me, he doesn't say, hey guys, a peace that surpasses understanding, you might want that for hard times. Jesus says, no, no, no. My peace I give to you. And my peace is a declaration and proof that the resurrection has worked itself out in your life. Do you have this peace? You can measure the effects of the resurrection, the impact of Jesus raising from the dead on your life by determining how much peace you have. That doesn't mean we are without fear. That doesn't mean we aren't without doubts as we will soon read. But when Jesus is Lord of our life, we are ruled by peace. So not only does Jesus show up uninvited, Jesus gives them peace in the midst of fear. And you can know that the resurrection is powerful. You guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful. The Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead. Do you remember what happened to him? He was whipped with the cat of nine tails, skin and flesh opened, crucified on a cross. When he died, a spear was taken. He was, it was driven up under his rib cage. Blood and water spilt upon the ground. Then if that's not enough, they wrap him and he's suffocating, if he, in case you weren't sure he was dead. At this point, which some people actually say he wasn't actually dead. He was like in a hypersleep. Discovery Channel says he's in a hypersleep. Come on, right? He was in a tomb for three days with no oxygen. Like it's looking pretty bad. But the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's not enough for me to not have power over him. I can raise him from the dead. And the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. You guys, the resurrection has power. John 3, 16 tells us that the resurrection saves us into eternal life. John 16, the resurrection saves us into union with Jesus. John 3, 21, the resurrection saves us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. Even though we once loved darkness, now our love for darkness has changed because we've been brought into the light and we see Jesus in the light. John 15, the resurrection saves us from living under the law but brings us into a relationship with Jesus where we are able to abide in him because he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And in Resurrection 17, Jesus, this is huge, saves us through the resurrection into a relationship with the Trinitarian Godhead. That's a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. We are saved into a relationship with the Trinitarian Godhead. We know that God, one God, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all equal as God, ruling and reigning in different roles as the Godhead. 
and what the Father is all about in the Godhead. It's like a nuclear reactor, okay? It's just self-powering, self-sustaining, all on its own. God's not like, well, I really need my Christians today, you know, and if not, I don't know what I'm going to do. God's like fully sustaining on his own. Now, creation would cry out if we don't sing. The rocks would cry out if we don't glorify God. Like creation's like, I got this taken care of, guys, in case you don't sing. So the next few songs we're going to sing here in a little bit, you better hear you, all right? Now, the point is this, that the Father seeks to make much of the Son, and the Father seeks to make much of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is like, I am seeking to make much of Jesus, and I'm seeking to make much of the Father, where Jesus seeks to make much of the Spirit, and Jesus seeks to make much of the Father. And so you can see there's this circular dance uh, happening where, where God is glorifying, God is glorifying, God is glorifying God. And in John 17, when the resurrection comes into your life, your life all of a sudden is changed, and you are not about glorifying yourself. You are all about making much of Jesus and glorifying God. You are all about what the Spirit of God is all about. Guys, the resurrection is powerful. It actually changes you. It is real. And if you haven't fully gotten there yet, ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you that peace so that you would experience the resurrection power of Christ. In verse 21, right after Jesus tells them that he is sending them, he says, sorry, 22 And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus now is like, hey, 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 hey. You have peace? Don't keep that peace to yourself. I am sending peace. You. Matthew, the end of Matthew, that is not only the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission right here. In fact, there are five times throughout the gospel other than the Great Commission where Jesus is commissioning his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He is sending them here. And Jesus promises them, before I send you, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say that this is the moment the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. This is not the moment the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, he breathed on them, but it was a sealed promise of what was to come. How do we know that? Well, in the beginning of Acts, the disciples are like, oh, Judas hung himself, so we got to get one more disciple because we had 12 before, so we got to get 12 more now. And so what do they do in choosing a disciple? They get a couple of guys together. Do they pray? Do they ask the Holy Spirit to help them? No, they cast lots because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But then soon after that, on the day of Pentecost, we know, which is just a few days after what's happening here, the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter gets saved, Peter proclaims the gospel, and the church is birthed. And on the first day of the church, it is a mega church. 3,000 people get saved. That is when they receive the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to see here. This is important. Jesus in 21 said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Our mission as Christians and as a church should first and foremost be about the glory of God for the forgiveness of sins of those who do not know Jesus. That is what Jesus is sending them to do. He's like, everything I am all about, everything you are to continue in, what I have done is a sending of you through the Holy Spirit to glorify me for the forgiveness of sins. And listen, I know sin is the S word of the church today, right? I mean, there are church services you can actually sit in and sin is never mentioned, At all. In fact, you never even hear Jesus in the middle of the sermon. There are plenty of churches like that. But Jesus talks about sin all the time. And it is our duty, according to Jesus, as he is sending us to be missionaries, to warn people of the destruction that awaits them if they have not repented from their sins. And listen, I know that this is offensive to you, but if you are an unbeliever and you visited this church this morning, 
I am here to warn you, if you do not repent from your sin and place your faith in Jesus and run to the one who offers forgiveness of your sins and have the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out, you will face eternal punishment and hell. And I'm saying that because I love you. I'm not saying, I mean, that doesn't get pastors popular, okay? That usually doesn't grow churches, though that seems to be the opposite for this church. And I say this all, I know I'm passionate about this because many Christians and many churches focus on secondary issues that aren't the main thing. They focus on healing. They focus on the gifts of the spirit. They focus on drinking or not drinking. They focus on, uh, can you smoke a cigarette or not go to hell? And they focus on all these secondary issues when Jesus is like, that's not what I'm about right now. Those things are important, but they aren't the main thing. The main thing, according to Jesus, is what he says here in verse 23. If I have forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you hold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What Jesus is saying is, I am sending you to proclaim the good news of the gospel for forgiveness of sins. And don't get the secondary issues. Don't pull those things up to the primary issues. I'm not saying those things are wrong. Healing is not bad. Gifts of the Spirit are not wrong. I'm not saying those things. Alcohol and, and cigarettes, whatever you do with those things. I'm not saying those things are all necessarily wrong, but they aren't the main thing. And don't make them the main thing because Jesus doesn't make them the main thing, okay? Jesus, when he came to this earth, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I gotta read to you a verse before we get there. Sorry. <sighs> I think Paul, before I share any more, I think you need to hear from Paul on this. Because some of you are like, I'm not, I'm not so sure because there are a lot of churches who focus on secondary issues, right? They do. Here's what Paul says. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, take notes, 1 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. You can go there later if you want or you can go there now. Paul says this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul, did, okay, let me say, did Jesus heal some people? Jesus healed some people. Did Jesus feed some people? Yes, Jesus fed some people. But Jesus isn't about to like start like a healing ministry, is he? He doesn't do that. Jesus isn't about to start a, the, a new show, The Exorcist, right? Jesus style. And he's gonna show him going around casting demons out of people. Jesus doesn't even start that ministry, does, does he? He doesn't. Paul, Jesus preached the gospel. Paul is about preaching the gospel. According to Christ, he gave us the ministry of recon, reconciliation, verse 19. That is, in Christ God we were reconciled, the world was reconciled to himself, not counting their trespasses, it's another word for sin, and against them, and entrusting the message to us of reconciliation. So we have been given, as Christians, every single one of us, the, our primary responsibility is the preaching of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. People bring brought back to God, and how does that happen? Through the message of reconciliation. Through the truth of the word of God, through God's word going out just like it is this morning. We are sent with the message of the gospel, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and if we are missing out on this as a church or as a people, we are missing out on our purpose. Jesus, people wanted Jesus to start healing ministries. People wanted Jesus to start all these other things. And Jesus is like, that isn't it. I'm here to preach the gospel. And that's what John the Baptist did. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. That is what it's all about. And if that's what Jesus is all about, if that's what Paul is all about, if that's what all of Christianity is all about, that's what Shorebreak is all about. That is what you and I are all about. And I'm not saying, all right, we can discuss secondary issues, but we're not going to die on that hill. It's not a fight worth dying for. When it comes to Jesus, who is God, when it comes to Trinitarian Godhead, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the purpose of the church, we're not gonna shake on those things. Secondary issues, all right. We, there are many of us in here, even within our own pastoral team, who have different views on secondary issues. That's okay. 
But Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. And all our ministry, you guys, all of our ministry is simply a continuation, a conduit of what Jesus has already started. And if it's anything else, it's missing the mark. Anything else. Let us be busy with what Jesus was busy about. Glorifying the Father and preaching repentance. So how are you doing? Are you a conduit of the ministry of reconciliation? Are you bringing the message of reconciliation with you to the workplace? Are you bringing, as Jesus said, I'm sending you with the Holy Spirit. Are you being sent? Are you saying, all right, here I am, Lord, send me, I'll go. I want to share, I want to, I want to do this. You guys, it must be our desire because it's a desire of the Spirit for us to to go out to see sinners brought into a loving, forgiven, reconciled relationship with Jesus and there is no new ministry. There's no new ministry. If someone's like, all right, I'm going to this church and it's super cool, you gotta come and check it out. I mean, they're doing this thing that no one else is doing. Red flag. There's nothing new under the sun. We're old school, all right? We're gonna be old school till we die in this church. And that's how Jesus wants it because it's what Jesus is all about and it's what we're all about. I'm not sorry for ranting. Verse 24. (laughs) Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Why are they still inside? They're still inside. Eight days later, I'm like, what? Okay, wow, you guys. Listen, if you're fearful, welcome to the club. Thomas was with them. Thomas wasn't with them before, but he's with them now. He didn't get the invite before, but he's got the invite now. Although the doors were locked, Jesus, again, I love this, came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Third time. Then he said to Thomas, he sees Thomas, spotting Thomas out, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. (sighs) Pretty awesome, right? Now we can come down on Thomas Doubting Thomas, right? It's almost like he has two names. Doubting is his first name, and Thomas is his last name. We've all labeled that. In some of your Bibles, it actually uh, labels that Doubting Thomas. It does, right? I actually think that's a bad label. See, Jesus had known after rising from the death that Thomas didn't experience the resurrection power himself. Just like my son says, but why the resurrection? And when I'm asking why the resurrection, he's like, I don't know. Thomas could say, okay, I've heard it. The disciples have talked about it, but I've never experienced the resurrection power myself. And Thomas is like, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Everyone else is drinking about it. They're all going crazy and I'm not in yet. So much so that I want you guys to see this. How disgusting and how graphic does Thomas get? Verse 25, Thomas says, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger, ew, right? I place my finger there and place my finger into his side, I will never believe. Now, my kids have a fascination with with boo-boos. I mean, every time I get a boo-boo, it's like, oh, let me see that boo-boo. Oh, you want to show me my boo-boo? And so sometimes we'll just have like boo-boo Saturdays, right? And we'll like go over each other's boo-boos because they are obsessed with it. But they never go up and shove their finger in my boo-boos and I don't do it to them as well. Because it's morbid. It's disgusting. And Thomas was like, yep, I'm not going to believe unless I shove my finger into Christ's boo-boos. 
Thomas is like, you guys see his, what he's wrestling with, his doubting. And Jesus is like, don't doubt, but believe. And notice this, Jesus, Thomas, did he ever touch Jesus and his wounds? He didn't. It was enough for Thomas to see the resurrected Savior. And Thomas is like, my Lord and my God, I don't need to touch that was enough. Now, I believe that Jesus would have saved Thomas even if he didn't see Thomas. I believe that Thomas would have come to know and faith in him from all the other testimony, but I, I really do believe that. But Thomas wasn't just a disciple. He was an apostle. And to be an apostle, you had to see the resurrected Savior. So Jesus is qualifying him for future things. And what does Thomas say? He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas doesn't say, Oh, my teacher, my rabbi, my Messiah, my friend, my prophet. Thomas declares my Lord and my God. And Thomas shares the first first statement of faith in all of scripture, declaring Jesus to be God. And if we are Christians, everyone follows in this first declaration of statement of faith, declaring that Jesus is the only and true God. That, was, that is exactly what makes Christianity different from any other religion. Because the truth is, Jesus is God. And listen, if Thomas is taking this too far, you guys know how people always take things too far. They always over-exaggerate. If Thomas was taking this too far, Jesus would have probably stopped him. I mean, do you guys, you know, throughout the Bible, whenever you see an angel showing up to someone, what do they do? They're like, oh my gosh, and they bow down and just start worshiping them on the spot. They are losing their minds. In fact, in Revelation, when an angel shows up to, to John, who wrote this gospel account, actually, John begins to bow down and starts worshiping him. And the angel's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <gasps> no, do not touch this. Do not worship me. I am just a servant of the Lord. And if you remember Paul and Silas and Acts, God gives them the supernatural gift and they're, they're healing, they're preaching and people are amazed at their supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And what do they do? They bow down and start worshiping Paul and Silas. And Paul's like, oh my gosh, no, do not do this because Paul knows if he lets this happen, it's over for him. And so Paul is like, no, I am flesh and blood like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. Just worship the God who is doing this work through us. Do not worship me. But here is, is, is Thomas standing before Jesus, melts in his place when he sees Jesus, and he's like, oh my gosh, he's real. Oh my gosh, he is God. I see his scars. I believe. And he says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus, does he stop him? Like angels, because if Jesus is an angel, like the Jehovah Witnesses says, no, in fact, he doesn't. He lets them praise him as God, because Jesus is God. And if anyone tells you that Jesus is not God, and they will, there are two groups of people that will knock on your doors dressed really nice that will tell you something else, and I'm not putting them down. We love them. We have to show Christ's love to them, but they don't see the gospel. We have to love them and share the real gospel with them. What I love here is that this once doubting man is now making much of Jesus, his Lord and his God. He goes from completely cold to completely on fire and hot for God. And Jesus says, guys, check this out. Have you believed in verse 29? Because you have seen me, promise for you today. Hear this out. Jesus is talking about this Sunday morning, August 19th, at Shorebreak Church. Blessed are those who do not see and yet have believed. incredible. Blessed are those who have not seen, but they believe. I got to take a moment here to step back. If you are doubting yourself, good. If you struggle with self-doubt, self-esteem, good. There's no self-esteem in the Bible. Doubting yourself is a good thing. You should have a problem with you. I should have a problem with me. We must. 
Paul in Romans 7.24 said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's like, I'm wretched. Wretched is a pretty strong word. Am I right? He's not like, oh, not so good. He's like, no, I'm wretched. David in Psalm 51 verse 3 said, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. David, forgiven of his sin, yes, but his sin, which is before David, David looking at himself is like, my sin is ever before me. My sin is taunting me. My sin has convicted me. My sin is always there to remind me of how wicked I am, of how I should doubt myself. But what Jesus does is he takes Thomas's inward doubt and reveals to him the hope that is only found outside of him. You can doubt yourself. That is okay. But what the gospel does is the gospel will take the eyes off of ourselves and direct our eyes outside of ourselves to Jesus who stands from eternity past and says, look at my scars, believe in the account of this gospel, and believe. And you can doubt yourself all day long. You can have low self-esteem all day long. And if you struggle with depression, you are welcomed by David and, and Paul and many other men of the Bible and many Christians in time past, even within the church, who struggle with that. Hope in God. Doubting yourself is a good thing. Trusting in Jesus is a better thing. Just as a side note here, you guys. Thomas is not highlighted because he is a great doubter. Thomas is highlighted because he has great faith. And what God will do is he will take your biggest downfall, your biggest doubting, and then use that for his glorious purpose. It's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Christian, all things work together for the good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus says, not just eternal life, Christian, that you might have life in his name. Not the life to come, but the life that you are living right now. This goes right back to what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. Why did Jesus come? John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Friends, let Jesus' resurrection power ruin you from the inside out and let you discover that the Christian life is a selfless life to give glory to God. And when that happens and the resurrection changes us, the things that we were once alive to, we are now dead to, and the things that we were dead to in God, we are now alive from the resurrection power of Christ. Our desires are different because they are changed. So Paul said in Philippians 1.21, right? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now take that from a guy who's killing Christians. His desires have changed, right? He's like, for me to live is killing Christians and persecuting Christ. Resurrection power meets him. Paul gets saved. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul goes from killing Christians to a killer Christian like that. All because of what Jesus has done. You guys, this is fundamental. Please understand this. All of life is not living for ourselves, but living for God's glory. And I say this in closing here because there are so many things that we are living for, so many things that we are holding on to, thinking that those things make up our life, thinking that some of those things that we got a white knuckled grip on make up who we are but they don't make up our life. We would say, for me to live is fill in the blank and it's not Christ. And to die is loss. And if you view death as a loss, then you aren't living for Christ. And this is true for Christians. Has the res resurrection power set inside your soul? 
You know, we go to Starbucks and we get a $5 white mocha, but we are unwilling to support orphans overseas because we supposedly can't afford it, right? We've said that. We've all said that. Oh, you know, I would just help that person, but, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm in a really tough place. Well, why don't you drop your $5 white mocha and get a brewed coffee and just pour a boatload of sugar in there? Okay. Just, just do it. I mean, get over your white mocha. Just get a brewed coffee for now on. When you go to a restaurant, you say you can't afford that. Don't order a soda. Just get water. It's half sugar anyways. Pay for the dentist. Pay for your health bills later on. So on. We say we can't afford to bless a kid because, well, I can't let this thing go. Well, the Holy Spirit just revealed to you what you can't let go. In fact, I, no joke, I was talking with someone at the church that I used to work at, and we're having a conversation over coffee, white mochas, right? <laughs> and we're sitting there drinking our j- beverages, and we're, he's struggling financially, and so I'm saying, hey, well, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And, and how can the church maybe even come alongside and see what we can help you with? And so I'm talking with him. And, uh, and, but as I'm talking with him, he's like, yeah, things are so, we're thinking about f- filing for bankruptcy. Things have gotten so defi- financially. And um, I, we just, we're going to just, we're just going to file for bankruptcy, man. I don't know what to do. So I asked him, well, are you tithing? Because Jesus said, test me in this area and I'll prove myself faithful. The Bible says that. So let me just ask you, if you're giving what is rightfully God's God's and he'll take care of the rest. And he's like, well, no, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm looking at him. He has a white mocha. His iPhone is buzzing. And he has a $3,000 MacBook Pro sitting in front of me. You can't afford to give to the church and you're living like this? I'm not going to help you. You have idols that you've resurrected in your heart and you have been transformed by the resurrected Christ and Savior who will take those things away from you and change your desires because like Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, I'm not saying those things are wrong. Guys, MacBook Pros, Latte, Starbucks, those things are not wrong. But let me ask you, has the resurrection of Jesus Christ so come into your life, so affected you deeply that you look at your life and it has visibly changed the way that you lived and it has transformed the way that you think? Let it change you. Live for Christ. That's what Jesus says here. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that those other things won't make up your life, but that by believing you may have life in his name. Not in any other name, but the name of Jesus. Not in any other product, product, but the name of Jesus. Listen, you will have an abundant life when you abandon your life. I'm going to say that one more time because some of you are like, what? You will have an abundant life when you abandon your life. So Jesus did. You guys, this isn't just somewhat important. This is the foundation of all Christianity. Everything we read in this book, this is what it's all about. And this is how John, who wrote this gospel that we are reading, would would later pen down these verses knowing that it was going to cost him everything. John, who wrote this book, would, would, would later in his life, because he was old, they'd say, hey, John, church history tells us, would you, um, would you shut up about Jesus? Just be quiet. We want, we, want to, we want you to suppress. We want to shut you up. Would you be quiet? He's like, no. He's like, you know what we're going to do to you? We're going to boil you alive. So they take this huge cauldron, fill it with oil, some say water. They throw his body in there to cook and to die maybe 70, 80 years old at this point. 70 or 80 years old. Can you just leave the guy alone, right? Let me get a Winnebago and go to Florida. John is like, I'm not renouncing Christ. And he's boiled alive. He doesn't die. So you know what they do in punishment instead? Send him off in exile to Patmos. Now, it's an island, but it's not like an island we're thinking, right? It's not like, oh, this is sweet. He's alone in exile. Solitary confinement. He's being tortured. That's what he paid for to pen these verses down. 
John is saying to you, you guys, he did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written so that you may believe. Have you believed in Jesus in such a way that the resurrection power has tangibly, visibly, mentally transformed the way that you live? Let that happen this morning. You guys, I love you too much to not tell you anything else. And if you are not a believer in Jesus, I plead with you. If you have not believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you can't say like Judas said, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God, believe. Repent from your wicked ways and run to Jesus and he will welcome you with open arms and forgive you of your sins. John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness because our sin has separated us from God, but the resurrection has brought us reconciliation. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that the tomb is empty and we can have a full life. Thank you that we can have joy. Thank you that the resurrection power can work itself out within our lives. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, for those of you who sat in this service this morning, you've heard the proclamation of the gospel and you've, you've seen or you've heard stories like Thomas that Jesus has rose from death, but you haven't experienced the resurrection for yourself. I plead with you, repent. Let the Holy Spirit so work in your life that you would see Jesus as the resurrected Savior, as Lord, and as your God. For those of you sitting in here this morning, if this is your first time in this church or you've been part of this church and you've never responded to the gospel in faith, I want you to raise your hand up in the air. And by raising your hand up in the air, what you're saying is, Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that comes through the cross. Guys, listen, I know many of you that are in here this morning. Some of you I do not know. But I never want to assume that you are okay. If you want to place your faith in Jesus this morning and respond to him in faith, raise your hand up in the air right now. I see your hand back there. God bless you. I see your hands over here to the left. God bless you too. For those of you who raised your hands, you can put your hands down. I just want to share something with you. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. What you're saying in raising your hand is you're saying, Jesus is God. You're saying that I'm not God anymore, but that Jesus is God. That I'm not going to live for my glory anymore, but I'm going to live for his glory. And as you do that, I see your hand. God bless you. And as you do that, you just, you receive the forgiveness that comes from God. And Jesus will breathe on you the Holy Spirit because without being saved, you will never have the Holy Spirit. But with the moment you get saved, you will experience eternal life and God will give you the Holy Spirit and he will change your desires. And by raising your hand, you're just acknowledging the work that Jesus is doing. For those who have raised their hands, just say this prayer after me. It's just a prayer of thanking God for what he's done. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for being so loving and so gracious. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit. Change my desires. Transform my life. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. Forgive me of my sin. I give you all of me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, put our hands together for those of you guys who raised your hands. Listen, if you, if you brought a friend or you just brought yourself in or whatever your story is, I don't know, but Jesus knows your story. I want you to tell someone who brought you with you. Let them know.
Come talk to one of us pastors at the end of the service. We have Bibles for free that are out on our info table. Grab one of those on the way out. Get plugged into the church. You aren't just saved out of your sin to then just be, all right, well, live your life on your own. But Jesus came that so you would have life and life abundantly. And to live the Christian life abundantly is to live the Christian life with God's people and God's house. So get plugged in. Be involved. Not because you have to. It's not these extra things, but because you are part of the family of God. So if that is you, we want to talk to you after the service. Come find one of us pastors and we'd be happy to speak with you. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.